Ali Abdel has a creative business that is projected to turn over 5 million this year. But how exactly has he scaled from making YouTube videos as a student to building a thriving business? Don't be afraid to hire, but hire in a way which leverages your time most effectively. Work out where you're spending your time that you're, isn't where you're most effective and hire in those positions first. And for most YouTube creators, that's editing. For other creators, it might be managing the business side of things, managing the finances. But I think that's one key bit of advice is don't be afraid to hire, but don't just hire randomly. Hire in a way that is effective effective, systematic and strategic. Angus is the CEO behind Ali's business and he joined me to talk about what's moved the business forward, building a team, how to make key decisions to scale and mistakes the business has had to learn from. It's quite diverse. It's one one thing that Ali and I have always been quite keen on is to make sure that we're not completely dependent on YouTube, which is obviously the original foundation of the business. So currently, obviously, we've got, we we kind of broadly split the the team into and the business into two parts. We've got sort of the content side and the commercial side, uh, which is mainly sort of the courses at the moment. On the content side of things, um, we've got six or seven employees working across YouTube, podcast, social media, website, and book. And for the most part, the main revenue coming in on that side of things is AdSense on YouTube, but also sponsors. And all all told with sponsors and AdSense, um, that brings in between 1.5 and 2 million a year um, across the content side of the business. And on the commercial side, that's sort of where our courses lie. um, And PTYA, the part-time YouTuber academy was one of the main successes of the past few years, which sort of kickstarted the growth of the whole business and allowed us to hire people, allowed us to expand. And that's something which we are, it's kind of a, a big driver of the business, essentially that accounts for between, you know, 55 and 65% of the revenue at the moment. Um, and we've recently changed from cohorts to um, self-paced version of the course, plus a kind of a service-based model as, um, product as well. And yeah, as I said, that accounts for about 55 to 65%. So between two and three million, depending on um, how the rest of the year goes. Uh, but yeah, so in, in total, we're projected to do between sort of four to five million, probably nearer the five million mark and about 60% from commercial wow. and 40% from content. Um, but the general model is we're trying to sort of increase the commercial side of things to be able to fund the content so that we can produce as much sort of free stuff as possible. And then at the moment, our kind of aim is to move more towards productivity. That's kind of what Ali's known for. And he's got a book coming out at the end of this year, which is available for pre-order now. But we, yeah, we're now thinking about how we can really lean, lean into that because fundamentally Ali's more known for productivity than sort of helping people create YouTube channels, even though PTY has been very successful, like True. on a broader level, he's much more well known for productivity. So we're just trying to think about how we can effectively leverage that moving forward. Definitely. And I feel like Ali's channel and the business as a whole has grown significantly recently. So I know during COVID, obviously it grew a lot because mm-hmm. of PTYA, but I feel like a lot of creators saw a drop off after COVID, but you guys have managed to keep the growth up what do you think has contributed to that good question um i think there's a couple of things i think one thing is diversifying as i mentioned before like having a diverse range of income streams rather than just relying either on youtube or on ptya i think as well we kind of decided to pivot away from cohorts just at the right moment to be honest um potentially a bit too late um we 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 did eight cohorts in total and cohort six and cohort seven were definitely sort of our weakest cohorts and i think that was coming out of the pandemic uh we saw the reaction to that and that did lead us to make changes internally in terms of team structure and team size and we kind of reduced the team down from we were at 19 at one point we moved back down to sort of 12 13 people and so we did restructure a bit so i I can't say we weren't hit at all by it but 
we kind of pivoted at the right moment, I think, and really lent into the fact that cohort eight was the last cohort and that's ended up being our most successful one. Because I think obviously, yeah, adding in the word last to a lot of things like this does t- tend to sort of initiate action on most people's parts. So True. yeah, I think that was that was one thing that, that helped us, but also then just looking towards the the future as well, like with with the book and, and how we can, you know, start to think about creating products in and around that. And with, I mean, fund- fundamentally, I think what one thing which, you know, a lot of people don't do is just like, it's just a consistency with with YouTube. And that's just always been there, like the, the kind of beating heart of the company. It's the overall foundation of everything. And that's just never stopped. Um, and the, the, the biggest drop off we've ever, we've ever had on a channel was like last month when Ali didn't, well, I say biggest drop off, it wasn't massive, but when Ali didn't film for six weeks and that's when, kind of we started to see it but I think one of the reasons we hadn't seen anything up until that point is just because we had never like missed a week without uploading for I don't know three or four years I think that genuinely does has helped kind of just keep things ticking along and when you've got five six seven different sources of income it means that in any one month if any of them aren't really performing you're generally held up by the others Um, and so even last Mm -hmm. year when we were technically sort of by the middle of last year, we were sort of producing less content, making less money, and it was our expenses were three times higher. We were still kind of doing relatively well because, you know, the the evergreen content on platforms like Skillshare and things like that were still bringing in money. And so that did allow us to kind of support ourselves through a period where uh, we were sort of, you know, there was a couple of months where it was sort of more or less break even, but that was mainly because there were just a, a couple of expenses that were um, quite high. But yeah, no, it was, we managed to get through it and um, yeah, still still growing. And with so much going on within the business, how often do you guys as a team take a step back, see what's working, see what's not working, decide when to make these like key decisions, like changing the course or adding a new income stream? Like how, how does that work? Ali and I meet every week anyway on like a one-to-one basis. And then every month we'll have like probably like an afternoon. We did it earlier today, actually, uh, where we just discuss what's going on kind of on a broader level, just him and I. But then the way we're working now as a team, um, which we've started to do since October last year, is in five-week sprints. And that's actually really completely changed the way that we operate um, as, as a business, as a, as a team, um, both in terms of efficiency and in terms of like the culture. And so every six weeks, we get together in person for a whole week and like plan out the next five weeks. That doesn't just mean the next sort of five weeks. It also means thinking about, you know, what are the next big things to work on and what are the most needle moving things we can be doing over the next five weeks to, to move us towards those other bigger things that we might be deciding to work on. So for example, this sprint we'd started to work on, which is ending today, started to work on like the productivity product that I mentioned earlier. It's like, what does that actually look like? And so it's a combination of the, in terms of planning, it's a combination of sort of Ali and I thinking about it on a, on a high level, but then also as a team getting together every six weeks and working out what are the next key things to be to be working on and that's actually been a system that's worked very very effectively for us um and allowed us to move at such a pace an example like we were planning on launching the last cohort of PTA in q1 and using the whole of q1 to sort of plan that um but given our new sort of five-week structure we decided to try to get it launched by the end of january so we gave ourselves sort of four weeks as opposed to 12 and we ended up launching oh, wow. it in five weeks start of february they didn't quite hit the end of january but like giving ourselves that deadline allowed us to sort of overcome the Parkinson's law effect um, with sort of work expanding to fill the time, which I think we'd succumbed to in the past. So yeah, that's sort of how we managed to operate kind of quite quickly and also iterate on a lot of things and yeah, get stuff out the door quite quickly. And so as CEO, how involved are you in everything? Like, do you focus more on the the business side or are you also 
involved in like you know the, the content side of things like what what does your day-to-day kind of look like yeah it's, a, it's an interesting question um Ali wants me to be less involved in the business in the, in the actual <laughs> day-to-day operations I think that's one of the th- th- things I need to kind of get used to as I transition uh into this new role is like previously as general manager CEO well like we don't really do titles here but like effectively kind of just helping th- keeping the trains running there is a lot of involvement we were looking yesterday actually at sort of my slack messages and slack have like analytics on their on their admin thing and i was just looking at that and i'm nearly at like a hundred thousand messages over the last like three years which is oh my gosh. about like <laughs> a day um so it's it's been when i look at that i'm like okay fine i'm clearly kind of far too involved in in just making sure everyone's kind of on track and helping unblock people and things um but yeah so essentially um i kind of am currently overseeing everyone so i manage 10 people which for, for a lot of people like they say usually like six seven people is max that people can manage and i appreciate that i think one of the fortunate things that i have and, and in terms of the people that i manage is that everyone's been here for over a year um at least and so there isn't any need to sort of handhold people they know what they're doing everyone's quite sort of autonomous and therefore they get on with their stuff without needing too much direction so there's, a, there's sort of management of that and just overseeing everything and making sure people know what they're doing have clarity on their goals and also just checking in on like you know, if there are any blockers or obstacles on a day-to-day basis, making sure those are unblocked. And then the other main thing that I'm kind of responsible for as well, we don't have a CFO or anything. Obviously we have accountants and things, but it means I've got to sort of look after the finances as well. And so overseeing all of those requires a degree of like, you know, hours every week, just making sure that everything's on track, but also like educating myself on it. Cause I didn't take an accounting accountancy degree. Like I'm I'm reasonable with numbers, wow. I'm pretty good at maths at school, but like I've not sort of two years ago, I'd never heard of a PL, didn't know how to read one. Um, so there's that aspect as well, which I need to keep across. And then obviously the the high level stuff as well, which has been in the past, been very much in conversation with Ali and has now needs to kind of be more driven by by me and, and steered by by Ali essentially. But yeah, that's kind of the the broad brush strokes of of the role is keeping everything running as well as I guess the other part of it is dealing with with third parties and being the external kind of face of the company as well, especially in terms of partnerships and sponsorships and things like that, which I'm also currently overseeing, but hoping to hand that off to someone because that does take a lot of time as well. Yeah, I think that's crazy that you started off writing scripts, doing research Mm. to like doing all of this. That's crazy. What's one thing that you've learned about hiring and managing a team that has really changed the business? One thing I've learned about Okay, so I'll, I'll tell you this as two different things. So like hiring, one thing I learned about hiring is CVs and cover letters are more or less pointless. <laughs> um, <laughs> when we're hiring now, like we sometimes ask for CVs and never really ask for cover letters anymore. One thing that's kind of really changed, changed it for us is like actually asking for looms and getting people to actually record one, two minute looms, not necessarily answering standard questions, but more just sort of sometimes ask, answering just like, introduction to themselves and keeping it brief and that kind of thing like that gives a far better insight into who someone is and what they're kind of passionate about and whether they'd be a good cultural fit mm. obviously there's a degree to which stuff on cvs can help in terms of giving a bit more knowledge about their experience and that sort of thing but yeah getting to record a loom and also getting them to add references and actually contacting those references like is a lot more effective than getting people to submit cvs and stuff like that so for hiring that would be one thing Managing is an interesting one. Um, I've learned so much and I've read so many very, very good books on on management. But I think one of the kind of key lessons, which it sounds so obvious when you say it, but like actually until you've kind of 
managed a select a selection of people you don't really realize it is that like everyone is different and i know that's like a really sort of try obvious thing to say but you say the same but the same bit of feedback to two different people in the same way and you'll get two different responses like you need to sort of cater everything to every single person's individual best interests and i don't think i properly realized that until i started managing different people and now i know that if i give a bit of feedback in a certain way to somebody it will be received completely differently to if i gave it in the same tone to someone else and i know what tone somebody needs like this person needs over here to get them going and motivate them as opposed to over here where I actually need maybe I need to just take a softer approach to get the same out and I know that's like a very obvious thing to say but genuinely until kind of I'd started to do it and there was like that repetition within it and got those reps in I was like oh god yeah actually people are different I need to speak to them differently um, <laughs> so that's probably like one thing gen- genuinely which going into it I thought ah oh, you know got all these forms got these things I need to do management wise and you know it's not it's definitely not a kind of these are the lessons and this is how you implement them and everyone's going to receive it the same way it's like this is everything you need to know and work out how to deliver it to your team which is definitely the objective bit um so yeah those are probably the two the two main things i think i feel like that makes a lot of sense like even you just saying even though i don't really manage people just communicating with people in general i feel like that's like applies there as well so when it comes to hiring how do you guys figure out you know what you need and whether you'll employ someone or find a contractor like how do you actually go about that process of hiring yeah, this has changed a lot over the last like couple of years, to be honest. And it's it's actually something which is constantly under review slash we're iterating on. Um, in fact, earlier this afternoon, one of the things that Ali and I were talking about was, you know, the hiring process and, and whether we should sort of, because we've been through a phase over the past sort of six months where we've been very sort of relatively firm on like not hiring anyone full time, mainly because we didn't really want to expand the team any further. And we were keen to just sort of keep the team as a core group of um, sort of 13 plus Ali and then have sort of contractors and freelancers helping on a per project basis. And that was sort of a season of the company where we weren't doing that, where we weren't hiring full time. And now I think we're moving more into a season where we probably will be hiring full time. And the basic kind of criteria for that is sort of will we do we think this is an ongoing capacity issue that we will need support for on an ongoing basis beyond three months essentially like if it's something that's sort of relatively short term that might just need a sort of certain gap or we're not actually sure whether we'll need someone for that long then we'll probably still hire freelancers and do it on a per project basis but if we need something that's going to be longer than three months we would look to sort of hire someone full-time potentially part-time but like part-time on a sort of 30 hour a week basis rather than sort of 10 or 20 so it's kind of that's that Mm. was the sort of philosophy moving forward in the past we have sort of we made the mistake in 2021 of hiring far too quickly um, and hiring full-timers far too quickly and we expanded to you know 18 19 people which then led to all the complications around um things slowing up, lines of communication increasing, which just leads to inefficiencies and that kind of thing. It's it's a whole different ball game. And we realized then that actually we needed to think think harder around like if we want to if we have a gap in the business and we have a spare seat in the business that we need to fill, is that actually a seat that needs to be filled one for more than three months, but two like every single day. And those are kind of the questions that we didn't necessarily ask ourselves about this time two years ago when we went on our hiring spree. And that kind of ended up backfiring <laughs> for us when we had to get rid of some people like last year. Um, not for any fault of theirs, just because we, it was just simply a case of we had to restructure the company. Yeah. And what about how much you pay? So even like either salary or the freelance rate. So how do you decide that, especially when you've you know maybe not hired for that role before? Yeah, so um, it really does. It's partly informed by market rates and getting input from uh, people who have hired for that role and just getting an idea of that. 
it is it is sometimes quite difficult to really assess what is the correct and, I, and I, to be honest i don't think there ever is like a correct answer i think you can definitely mm. kind of be wrong and underpay like i think there's probably a wrong answer but like the actual correct answer of what is the right amount to pay i think is is somewhat varies depending on location like length of employment like deliverables and things like that so it really does vary for like people who are hired full-time um like our core team at the moment we have a system where we have everyone on the same salary if you've been here for longer than a year so if everyone anyone who's full-time who's been here less than a year is on one band anyone who's been here for more than a year is on like a second band and everyone's on the same thing and we have just a flat rate like that we didn't have that up until like about this time last year but we decided to implement that and since then that's had a really positive effect on the culture i have to say like everyone knows that they're kind of all getting paid this rough the same which is a good compensation and we have noticed a significant shift in sort of like just the culture since like september october last year in terms of how people kind of behave towards each other and that kind of thing which has been really really positive um and then in terms of contractors and freelancers Again, it's it's partly a case of sort of iteration and working out what actually works best, but also making sure that we are appropriately compensating freelancers. Like we don't, it's not it's not just a race to the bottom for us, like at all. We want to make mm. sure that we're kind of getting value for money, but at the same time, we reward our freelancers um, and make sure that they are they feel like they're part of the team as well. So yeah, it, it really does vary. It's not really a something which I can have a specific answer to, but yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. It's, there's just so many factors that go into it, really. Yeah, I'm actually really intrigued by this like flat rate salary because I've mm. never really heard of that before. What was the motivating factor to change it to that kind of model? Yeah, I think one 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 of the reasons was because we had got ourselves into a position where we did have multiple different salary bands uh, and we had sort of five or six people on different rates and one of the things that we just thought after sort of getting downsizing the team slightly and, and getting down to sort of 12 we wanted to create a culture that was more inclusive not that it wasn't inclusive before but like everyone around the same table everyone feeling like they were part of one one team and given that everyone's responsibilities were quite similar um obviously everyone has different roles and different jobs and contribute to the business in different ways but we one of our core values is like being a team player and again sounds quite obvious but ultimately for us it's a really really important part of being part of our team is popping in to help with someone else's work if they need support getting involved with other areas of the business if it happens to be um you know on fire or whatever like there's there's various different things that we we want to in sort of encourage within our team members and that led us to thinking around you know how can we actually make this a place where everyone feels like they are working towards the same aim and on the same level and don't feel like they're in any way sort of either high above or below anyone else in the team based on pay um, and even if we had a flat structure mm -hmm. I, I think the mistake sometimes that's made is like when companies adopt flat structures there's still not a flat structure in pay and I think that's one of the issues that flat structures often fail is because there's still a degree of hierarchy induced by the pay and so at the moment we've taken the approach of and i'm not saying it will continue forever but like certainly for now it's very it's very effective for us it's like it's a completely flat structure at least for like the core you know team members of of 12 or 13 and as a result of that as i said the pay is exactly the same as well and we also have like our, our bonus system it's a um collective profit share uh that we a certain percentage above like the operating profit at the end of the year gets divvied out equally amongst all 13 employees on like a pro rata basis so everyone gets the same bonus as well and that just kind of it's it's all moving towards this sort of 
all trying to encourage you know this team effort and making sure we're all pulling in the same direction and if anyone not this has happened so far but if anyone if if i kind of got the impression that anyone was either free riding or had any objection to that then it would probably be like it just wouldn't be a good fit for the team essentially like it's it's not something that we would want to sort of tolerate necessarily and so everyone knows that that's that's the vibe and that's the culture and that's what we want to kind of move towards and having that flat structure and the flat pay is just a really good way of doing that as i said it's not something that we won't like revisit um in the future especially if we end up expanding Mm. further then there's a degree to which and a point and a point at which this uh approach breaks naturally because you know, at some point, there's going to need to be more management and more layers of thing of, of um, you know management level, levels and hierarchies introduced, which we want to kind of hold off as long as we can on that. But when that happens, then there will be a, a need to discuss pay again. But for now, it's actually something which yeah. has worked really well. And as I said, like I don't think the culture has been as good as it has been for the past six months, like ever in the past three years. So it's definitely had a positive effect on just like team team cohesiveness um, and overall kind of company vibes. Yeah, I love that. I love that team is such a core of your business. Um, but with so many, I mean, I'm surprised at how big the team is even still, even though you've kind of clicked down mm. a little bit. But with so many people wearing so many different hats and so many different moving parts of the business, but you're all happy to kind of like chip in here and there with each other when you're falling behind. How do you make sure that everyone, you know, stays on the same page and everyone's kind of focused on that same vision and core value? Yeah, so um, part of it is the the sprints that I talked about and actually getting together every six weeks in person for a whole week. And as part of that, we really kind of go deep on reiter- and, and reiterating like the, the values, the vision, the mission of the company, and then really dive into what we're working on over the, the next five weeks. And as part of that five week cycle, every sort of Friday, people need to give an update on where they're at with their quest and, you know, give an update in Notion. And we we track everything in, in Notion kind of quite in, in a lot of detail, um, which does provide not only accountability for people, but also clarity and visibility for Ali and I. And, and it's when we don't have clarity where we start to sort of get worried and concerned about something. And that does allow us to maintain that sort of um, cohesiveness as well as, as a team, because everyone can see publicly where everyone's at with different projects and that kind of thing, which is a really, really good way of, as I said, encouraging accountability, um, but also, you know, getting performance as well from people because they can see what mm. they're doing and how it contributes towards the overall objectives of the team. Yes, I mean, what I explained is, is the main thing, really. Um, and then we also have a very, very detailed, like, scorecard that people manually update. We probably could automate it, but we actually kind of like people putting in the numbers for the various different areas of the business that they're in just so they can actually appreciate where, like how, how something has grown or, you know, not grown or that kind of thing. Um, and that's sort of updated every Monday. So it's like there's regular touch points on a given week. And these are kind of business as usual activities, but they're kind of, and although people get used to doing them, they still are those touch points that allow us to sort of keep focused on what we want to do and keep reminding people of the general kind of direction that we're trying to head, the targets that we're trying to get to. We do have goals, we do have targets, yeah. but they're very much directional rather than necessarily sort of targets that we must hit. And if we don't hit, you know, the world's going to end kind of thing. We don't really take that approach to it. It's very mm. much, this is where we want to get to. And these are the kind of the metrics that we need to hit. And, you know, let, get, let's use them as as guiding guiding pointers kind of thing to, to get there. But yeah, over the yeah. past sort of probably six to eight months, we've definitely taken sort of OKRs more seriously. And that's definitely helped give us more steer and direction on what we are doing and making sure that everything kind of rolls up into the overall objectives for the, for the company, which up until that point, I think we had definitely sort of drifted to a certain extent on the whims of what Ali wanted to do. 
which often weren't uh, consistent uh, and would change um, based on the day, the week, the month. Um, and so, yeah, since since we sort of implemented uh, a stronger system of sort of objectives, key results, and then those sort of fold down into the projects for each sprint, which we call quests like internally, but it's basically just the projects that people work on every single sprint. What Now we've got that kind of three-tiered system that's really helped sort of align everyone and make sure that we're uh, moving in the right direction, ultimately towards the vision uh, of what we have for the company. Mm. So what are those metrics? What are the things that you're measuring, you know, to measure the growth of the company? I mean, it, 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 there's, there's absolutely, I mean, there's, there's loads. Uh, um, the key, the key ones that, we, <laughs> that I really care about is sort of kind of five key metrics that we uh, have decided as kind of the, the, the key ones are net new followers, net new email subscribers, uh, operating profit at the moment, book sales, because book sales are kind of a really key thing, customer satisfaction, uh, i.e. anyone who's taken PTYA or any of the other courses we've got. And then a kind of internal team happiness as well, um, because we recognize that actually it's all well and good measuring the external metrics and that kind of thing. But if we're not actually keeping track of how the internal team are doing, then we could be sort of just blindly walking into a number of issues. And so we have an internal metric of happy, like happiness and, and you know, how people are doing every, every week we, have, we send out a survey. We use like an mm. integration into Slack which just allows us to keep a pulse on how people are doing. And I think that's just probably something that's missed by a lot of companies and they might review them every quarter yeah. or whatever, but we do it every week. Um, and in fact, we have a daily kind of automation on Slack, which is just how, how are you doing? And you react with like a green, amber or red kind of circle. And that alone gives us a good insight as to just if there's anyone having any particular issues on any particular day. And that's also helping us just keep us aligned, basically. So, yeah, those are kind of the five key metrics. Mm. But beyond that, like our scorecard has about 10 different metrics per department. So YouTube, deep dive, podcast, yeah. different social media platforms. So we track everything. But those are kind of the key, the five key ones, because ultimately for us, our email list is our most important asset and the kind of new follower gain and kind of net views over the, all the platforms those are the, kind of the two content key metrics that we that we need to track they kind of lead down into yeah. the new follow, the email subscribers and then the operating profit and then sort of customer satisfaction is sort of product delivery and as long as those are all fairly um you know pop green uh, or, or in any any other way green would be represented by you know customer satisfaction kind of thing as long as they're, <laughs> they're all positive then we uh, we know the company's going in the right direction if any of them start to turn negative then we know there's going to be issues and we dig deeper. Right. So even if it's, because I feel like, especially with things like subscriber growth, does that not ebb and flow? It's so how do you like, know when to look into it? Yeah, it, it, it's it's more based on trends, really. Like if we see there's a trend for like two or three weeks of negative subscriber growth or not negative subscriber growth, but, but you know, slowed growth or plateauing or that kind of thing, it's then that we'd kind of look into it. So same with like views, because subscribers, we, we've gone back and forth on like whether views or subscribers are more important um or subscribers slash followers whatever um because ultimately uh, subscribers are a bit of a vanity metric but the way that sort of we have broken it down now is like a view is someone paying you with their time subscriber is someone paying you with their like click of the button an email is someone paying you with their data i.e they're giving you their email your e their email you know phone number or whatever it might be in the in that particular kind of email capture page and then the operating profit is obviously people paying you with money. And then the final one of customer satisfaction is just more like how you deliver on that. So that's not really related to that, but like that kind of flow of 
how people are paying us with either time or kind of effort in terms of like subscribing. That's like another effort beyond just paying, just watching your video. Those are kind of the key indicators for yeah. as people move along the, the whole sort of uh, the flow of the process. And so they do give us an indication, but we do, we also obviously recognize that, especially on the upper end of that, like content does ebb and flow. Um, and so it is important to make sure that we're not making drastic act, taking drastic action because one week we happen to be down 50% on followers. It's like, if we were down two weeks in a row like that, then we'd probably think about taking action. But if it's just like one week, then no, it's, it, it's, it's, it's all about taking a bit of a more holistic picture, but we still are yeah. tracking everything week by week just to make sure that we don't miss anything. Yeah, no, I like the approach. I like how you think about it more than just like attention and views and yeah. like actually think about it in a deeper way. Has the business ever made any mistakes that were really important to learn from that have changed the trajectory of the business? Yes, definitely. Um, the the overhiring spree that I mentioned like two years ago was is probably the biggest mistake we've made. And essentially that came out of, as we were growing in 2021, we we were four people at the start of 2021. We went 19 by the end. As we were growing through sort of six to seven to eight in the sort of spring, summer of, of that year, we were starting to move the business more from like a crappy startup towards like a business and trying to implement basically business principles onto what we were doing. And that meant going from just the four of us kind of making, not making it up as we go along, but, you know, actually trying to get, get through the days and produce videos and, you know, create cohorts and that kind of thing to how can we create a structured business out of this? And when we started to think about like org, org design and uh, how that would look, it was then that we were like, oh, you know, Angus is sitting in 10 seats. Therefore, we need to hire nine different people. Um, and the mistake <laughs> we made with the, especially of a company this size and any, and any startup, it's like, it's kind of fine if people are sitting in three or four or even five seats depends on what those yeah. seats are to be fair like if it's a really specialized seat and it's lots of work then maybe one is enough but like generally two three four seats it's kind of fine and i think the mistake we made was that we need to hire for every single role so everyone is only in one seat and actually that wasn't necessary and we also added in seats there that probably also weren't necessary like for example getting a full-time videographer um, obviously the person we got was great but actually thinking about it we probably didn't need someone full-time every single day doing videography like one day a week may have been fine but I think we were thinking too much in terms of, you know, filling out that old chart and creating a business and not actually having a good idea of where we were going. And I think coupled with that mm. was the fact that up until six, eight months ago, as I mentioned, we weren't really taking OKRs seriously. We weren't really taking metrics seriously. I had always had a bit of a, not an aversion a, a to using metrics at all, but certainly a version to sort of necessarily using them to sort of assess performance, even though that's very, you know, standard. Um, I think Ali was wary of becoming too corporate about things. And I think that led us to potentially yeah. delaying things like really getting stringent on metrics and really get going hard on OKRs uh, for, for longer than we should have done. Um, and now we've done it, we're like, ah, oh, there's a lot of clarity here. And we've still, we've still taken it in a way which allows us to maintain that sort of startup vibe and veer away from being too corporate. But I think we've taken the lessons that actually yeah. are useful for us and incorporated those into how we work as a business, which has been yeah, really useful for us and helped us to get clarity. Um, and as I said, probably be more efficient and effective than we ever have been um, with a team that's still sizable, but it's smaller than we once were. Um, and I feel like we're getting more done than we've yeah. been able to with a team of sort of 19 people, given our position like two years ago. 
Yeah, definitely. I feel like you guys are definitely in a good place with where you are, both in terms of business, content, and everything that's going on at the team. Mm. Um, I'm going to end with a quick fire round now. So I ask every crazy that comes on air five questions. I'm going to modify them a little bit just because I don't know whether to call you a crazy or not. I feel like you're more on the business side. So I'm going to modify them a little bit. Um, so what's your favorite thing about working in the creator economy? Um, the fact it's never, ever felt like a job. Oh, I like that. And what's one piece of advice that has changed the way that you are as a manager or CEO? Uh, yeah, okay. There is there is one thing that sticks out. So in the, um, there's a book called Multipliers uh, by Liz Wiseman. And in there, she talks about, um, well, obviously multipliers, but also the opposite multipliers, which is diminishers, um, but also how you can easily become an accidental diminisher. And there's like seven different categories for that, some of which include like, they she calls them different things. One of them is like the rescuer and things like that. And I ident identify quite strongly with some of those um, because I do tend to sort of, you know, jump in when I'm not needed and, you know, not let people get on with certain stuff and that kind of thing. And so I think probably that concept of like, the accidental diminisher and thinking about how I might be inadvertently doing that with some of my practices as a manager definitely changed how I approached managing certain people. And I think the other bit of advice, mm. which is less advice from anyone in particular, but more something which I've heard from multiple people is what I talked about earlier in terms of treating everyone in a unique way and making sure that you adopt different approaches for different people, depending on their personality and how they work best and making sure that you are getting the most out of them by identifying their like unique native geniuses. Mm. And what's one tool that either helps you the most or helps the team in general that you just couldn't live without? Oh, Slack. I mean, I use it all the time, but <laughs> I'm obsessed with Slack. Um, yeah, I, I think... I mean, with those messages, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, Slack, Slack and Slack and <laughs> like, that's essentially our tech stack as a team. Like, we don't really use anything else. Mm -hmm. And what's something that helps with your work-life balance? What's something that helps my work-life balance in terms of a tool or just in general? Just in general. If it doesn't have, to be, doesn't have to be too related to to work, then one thing that I definitely find helpful in terms of just general energy levels and that kind of thing is, and I'm going to be one of those those people, but like waking up early is a massive unlock for me. I've always done it since I was like really, really young. I've never not not woken up early, but that for me maintains my energy and allows me to have that time before work every single day where I'm not actually thinking about work it's probably the only time where I'm not and yeah that's mm. just been a massive kind of uh it, it's kind of a, a sacred time for me in the morning like I need to wake up early otherwise I will be miserable for the whole day um which is kind of <laughs> counterintuitive but um yeah I don't yeah. Know if that really the question but that's that's kind of how I sum no it's it no, I like that. And what's one piece of advice that you'd give to other creators who want to scale their business? Good question. Um, don't be afraid to hire, but hire in a way which leverages your time most effectively, i.e. work out where you're spending your time that you're, isn't where you're most effective and hire in those positions first. Um, and for most YouTube creators, mm. that's editing. For other creators, it might be managing the business side of things managing the finances but i think that's one key bit of advice is don't be afraid to hire but don't just hire randomly hire in a way that is effective systematic and strategic mm, that's great advice thank you so much angus this has been such an amazing conversation no i feel like we've got such a good behind the scenes of what a creative business is like and i really appreciate it no worries at all thank you for having me if you're a creator working with sponsors check out passion fruit 
we help you to streamline your entire workflow. I'll see you in the next one.